0: All right, so tonight we are going to be going forward in 2 Kings chapter 19. And as we come to 2 Kings chapter 19, we are coming into the middle of the story with Hezekiah, this this great king in the southern kingdom of Judah, in his cruxable of moments that define his life and really bring out his greatness and prove that all those little good decisions add up to great decisions as a work compound in your life going forward in your journey. Now, he is the contrast to King Hosea in the north. And the common denominator that Hosea in the northern kingdom of Israel, this is all around 725 B.C. And Israel's been a divided kingdom since Solomon stepped into eternity in 921 B.C., so a couple hundred years. The northern kingdom, southern kingdom, often at war, 19 kings in the north, none of them good, 20 kings in the south, there's still some more to go because they don't go into captivity till 586 BC with the Babylonians. So Hosea's the last of those northern kings, and we're told he's the best of the bad kings. That's his claim to fame. He's the best of the bad kings. He had to, he was a vassal state to the Assyrian king, and he rebelled against that. He tried to get Egypt to help him, King, king O down there in Egypt. And it didn't work. They were taken into captivity. We talked about this with the Assyrians. There is so much extra biblical, archaeological evidence and facts for us about the Assyrians. They bragged a lot, and they recorded it for history, and a lot of their bragging is about what they did to Israel, and it's in museums all over the world. The British Museum, Israel, stuff like that. So it's it's all there, and there's actually the tablets that show them doing what I mentioned to you. They had stripped them captive naked, and then put the hooks in their ears and marched them off to be slaves in a distant land. The Assyrians came from what is modern northern Iraq and Turkey, so basically where the Kurds are. It would be like Kurds, where the Kurds are to this day. And they would displace people that they conquered and mix them all up so no one would be confident where they were at and would look to them to be their lord and master. That's what they did. So we saw that last week they conquered Hosea, the last king in the northern kingdom, and took them away. The common denominator is that Hezekiah reigned in the south, in Judah at the same time, that all this happened to Hosea in the north. And he was very much aware of it. He came to become king at the age of 25, and he reigned 29 years. He lived, 50, he lived 54 years was his life, 54 years, and he's a great king. We, know, we talked about this last week in chapter 18, that when he's introduced to us, there's been 13 kings. He's the 13th king in Judah, and it's the first one in 200 years where it said he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and even as his father David did. The previous 12, some did what was right, like Uzziah. Jehoshaphat, a couple of those guys. But he didn't just do what was right, like politically, like a good politician, a good king, and moral. He did all that was right, like a heart for God, like compared to David, which made him so amazing. And we looked at that last week, verse by verse, and we looked at it Saturday topically as well. So tonight we come into the text where Sennacherib is the king of Assyria. They're besieging Jerusalem now. They've taken every major city in the region. They are a superpower that no one can stop. And now all their focus and efforts are completely focused on Jerusalem and the capital of the southern kingdom. And they've sent their men to taunt and talk trash to Hezekiah's guys uh, on the city wall there. We've seen all that already. And now there's it's a like I said, it's a cruxable where this is the defining moment of this man's life. This is the defining moment for a great man of faith and the people he surrounded him with. And it's a defining moment for the people of God in Judah who, like him, agreed not to answer one word to the Assyrians taunting them at the city wall gates. In fact, it said they all held their peace and no one said a word. And that was our dramatic ending last week, verse by verse. So now we come forward with this text. And so it was, verse 1, chapter 19, that King Hezekiah heard it the threats and all that, so it came to him from his people that were on the wall, that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and the elders of the priest, covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord the Lord your God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, that's the Assyrian, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. That's quite an opening for tonight's text, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> You never win when you fight against the Lord. We'll come back to that later on. But Hezekiah, this first verse, is so profound and insightful to this man because remember he became king at the age of 25 and when he became when he became king he immediately implemented reforms to the benefit of god's people to move toward the lord remember his dad ahaz was as bad as any king has ever been in the southern kingdom ahaz in fact two weeks ago on saturday night was one of the three kings that we looked at there was uzziah jotham and ahaz and ahaz was the worst emphasized they Set up altars under any green tree for all the things they wanted to do against the Lord. There was nothing that was sacred. He tore down the upper gate that his dad, Jotham, had built as access to the Lord between the king's palace and the temple. And so Ahaz was just out of control. He came to power at the age of 25 and he reigned 16 years. But then he's gone. He's done. He's, there's nothing good really said of Ahaz whatsoever. But here's his son, Hezekiah. And we've talked about this the last few weeks. But what's interesting about Hezekiah is how does a guy, how do you get a guy this good, how do you get a human being this on fire for the Lord after his dad was so evil? It just reminds us that there's self-determination for every one of us. We don't have to accept evil that comes from before us or beside us or underneath us. Each woman, each man stands on their own faith or unbelief before the Lord. And we are self-determined beings under the sovereignty of God with the choice to make good decisions or bad decisions. His dad made really bad decisions with an evil heart. He chose, at the age of 25, to make really good decisions. And the influence, we, we have to believe, on his life. Maybe his mom was an influence on his life, Abby. But Hezek, uh, Isaiah the prophet definitely would have been influence on his life. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, tells us that he had his ministry during the time of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And we know that Uzziah's reign was 52 years. Jotham, Ahaz, 16 years each. That's 32 combo. And then 25 years for our guy here, Hezekiah. So Isaiah would have grown up under the reign of Uzziah and became the prophet, spoken in the time of Uzziah, spoken in the time of Jotham, spoken in the time of Ahaz, and now speaking in the time of Hezekiah. And the book of Isaiah is amazing, right? It's sixty-six chapters that are just amazing. It's it's the gospel in the Old Testament. All the prophecies, the virgin birth, the kingdom coming, all that stuff is there. It's amazing. The cross, Isaiah 53. This is that Isaiah that we just read about. It must have been a joy for Isaiah to see Hezekiah be this dependent upon the Lord after what his dad did, after watching his dad not heed the words of Isaiah. It must have been a joy to see the son heed the words. And we talked about this. We see kings that become kings at 16. That's a a sophomore. That's a junior. That's a male. That's a junior. That's a 16-year-old getting a driver's license at your local high school, becoming king of Israel. That's a thought to think about. 25 is different. I have a saying about men. When you're 18, you think you can get paid for being cool, or you don't even realize how important it is to get paid. Then you realize sooner or later you need to get paid, and no one pays you to be cool. So usually by the time you're 25, post-college age, and maybe you have a wife or kids, you realize like, hey, i got to get my hustle on. And you have a a healthy perspective of, of the human experience for a man at 25. And Hezekiah is that man. And what's interesting about this first verse is he knew exactly where to go on the difficult day, on the dark day, and the most challenging day. We talked about this last week, that when he was besieged by Sennacherib, the first thing he did was to, to try and appease him, and he stripped the temple of gold and all that stuff, and he gave it to the Assyrian king. You do what you can. Remember, we talked about this last week. There were no good decisions in that situation. There were no good options. If you, I was like four options, the best choice and the worst choice being one and four and something in between, or what seems most logical. In that situation, when this siege began... None of those four choices were good. The the best of the bad choices was to strip the temple of everything, give it to this king of Assyria, and hope he would just leave you alone and you'd buy time to figure out another solution. But we talked about this. When Hosea did these things to appease the king of Assyria, he did not have a strong walk with the Lord. When Hezekiah did these things, he had a very strong walk with the Lord. Hezekiah had refurbished the temple that had to be stripped when that happened. And we have to ask ourselves is God concerned about the gold in the temple? Or the heart that's golden to the Lord. Because Jesus said, you swear on the gold and you swear on this and that. But what's more important, the gold or the altar? See, God looks at the heart. And David had a heart for God. And Hezekiah is compared to David. So Hezekiah made the best decision of the bad option decisions when he stripped the temple of the gold. That's already happened before this event. That didn't work. Because the kings of Assyria are never appeased. They're, They're just not appeased. They just... Only the, the Lord's got to stop people like this. So Hezekiah goes in to, the, we read in this first verse, he goes, he puts on the sackcloth representing repentance, mourning, crying out to the Lord. But it says he tore his clothes, covered himself, and he went into the house of the Lord. This is what's so fascinating to me. In Second Chronicles chapter 29, you can reference it, where we get a whole lot about Hezekiah. There's so much about Hezekiah in Chronicles, it makes me excited to teach Chronicles later this year. But at the age of 25, when he became king, he was ready for the moment. He hit the ground running, and he brought about reform, reform, reform. He refurbished the temple. He reestablished all the priesthood, and even brought back the singers to lead praise and worship on a regular basis, on a daily basis, in the temple. This guy did more for the house of the Lord than anyone before him, probably since the time that Solomon built it. Which, again, makes it a little easier to give away the gold. Because you already know, God knows, it's not about the goal, it's about the heart. And you're doing the best you can for the people. And so here he is now, contextually going into the temple right away and pouring out his heart to the Lord in this day of distress. This is very encouraging to me. It is in Psalm 73 where the sons of Asaph said that they would have lost heart when they saw the prosperity of the wicked until they went into the house of the Lord and they were reminded of what the end of the wicked is. That's why it's so—you don't come to church to worship the Lord and sing worship songs with Danny or whoever's leading worship to just so you don't not fear evil people outside the walls of this church. But that is a byproduct of it. We come here to worship Jesus, right, and to sing praises and to get that kingdom perspective. But a byproduct of that is when we do this, when we're worshiping, we're receiving, we're praying, we're sharing, we're giving, whatever we're doing, the byproduct is— we have perspective on things like this, the king of Assyria. The house of the Lord is the plumb line that reminds us of eternity. It's the compass that tells us that Jesus is on the throne and everything's going to be all right. Like the song Danny was leading us in right now before we got up here. It's like, he, the, didn't that song edify you and build you up? Like, he's got this and whoever you think you are enemy, you've got, my God is bigger, greater than you. We, that's, that was on Hezekiah's playlist Twenty seven hundred years ago, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I hit that song. That's my playlist right there. <laughs> right? That's what that's what you got going here. The temple, when the, the the resting day comes, the house of the Lord is the place to be, and that's why it's so important to. Stay in fellowship and to, and to be in, in the church. And that's why when the church was so attacked in the past couple years during COVID, it was so important not to blink. And it's to try and use common sense and be respectful. But the church is the church and we have a higher mandate. Render to God things that are God and then seize the things that are Caesar's. And it's just so important why, like, while well, we come here and when they, when they made a, a mandate against singing in the church, didn't it stir you up to come here and sing first song? I, you know, whenever I'm missing the first song, I think, hey, you're the one, one willing to go to jail for singing in church. It put a new value on when singing, against, singing for the Lord and the church was technically temporarily mandated to be outlawed, and I was never going to give up that, that ground to Caesar. It made me value that first moment, the moment the first chord, Danny Donnelly, or whoever's leading worship, does. Because that's hill i will die on. By the way, in 17 years of this church being here, I've had some pretty serious confrontations with people during or after worship before teaching because they took the eyes off the Lord during worship and caused people to look at them. This is a holy place. We come here to get perspective for the kingdom and to make sure Senecrib's little Senecrib, big God. And if someone's drawing attention to themselves, which none of you really do, but it does happen, you got to know we're on it. I mean, the guys have seen me run from down here up there and run down here, and like, dude, you got to. know. We, we've we fought for the integrity of the, the sanctuary as a place of refuge and praise and worship since in 35 years of ministry. Jeremy Foster, when he was here, our former associate pastor, he'd always talked about the integrity of the sanctuary, that it's safe. It's worshipful on Jesus and you can receive the word of God with minimal distractions and certainly none that are planned for. But we try to make the adjustments if they happen, when when they happen. He knew where to go. Verse 1 says it all. When someone's threatening your freedom, your health, your wife, your family, your kids, your livelihood, everything that you have, your friendships, your freedom, man, and they're bigger, badder, and meaner than you. And they have all the resources. They control everything that could destroy you. As you look to survey the land of Judah and even Lachish fell with their high, high siege. And just they, they, could have, they should have held, but Lachish fell. And they're coming for you. And now they're not, there's no more villages left to get. They're just coming for you. That would be so overwhelming. And that's why it's so important that we value the sanctuary And that we come here with a heart to seek the Lord, receive from the Lord, and build up one another. As it says in Hebrews, stirring up love and good works. He knew where to go, and he went to the house of the Lord. And in his first year of being a king, he refurbished that house of the Lord. In the darkest day, he had to tear down part of that house of the Lord. But this is still the house of the Lord, with or without gold. This is where he's going on that day. And it's just something so special, whether it's a weekday or a church service or anything in between, when you can go to the house of the Lord. And you can just be still and have that perspective. The house of the Lord gives us perspective. It gives us eternity so we can properly see through the prism eyes of faith, the temporal, and not lose focus of who's really in control and who's really calling the shots in a universe of trillions of galaxies and billions of people that he sent his son to die for. Yes and amen. All right, we read on now in verse we read this. Then Rapshaka, this is Sennacherib's guy, he returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he had heard that he departed from Lachish. These are the surrounding Judah cities that were really well fortified, and they fell. And the king heard concerning Tirka, king of Ethiopia, look, he's come out to make war with you, So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Now, he's just going to repeat what he's already said. I'm going to come to the text. But now, you know, now God's creating contention and strife for them, like the Ethiopians are coming, and it's not going quite according to plan, and it always ends up that way with the evil. They might have great plans, but sooner or later, they implode on themselves. So... He's going to try and he's going to say the same thing. Try the bully tactics. It didn't work the first time. Let's see if it works the second time. That's how bullies are. That's how the devil is. That's how the world is. So let's see how Hezekiah handles this. Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, verse 10, saying, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given to the hand of the king of Syria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Syria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, and the people of Eden who were in Talisar. Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arphad, and the king of the city of Sephravim, Hina, and Iva? Those are all Syrian to the north. He's talking about the places he conquered already to the north. Verse 14. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. So it wasn't just spoken. It was like a written form. Like here's this form that's going to terrify you. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim." You are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of earth. You've made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord... The kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the works of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore you did destroy them. They destroyed them. You allowed it, essentially. Now therefore, O Lord God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. I just love this chapter. This is a human being, a man with a heart after God, and again, it's like when you get the threatening letter from somebody at work. Maybe you're being bullied at work. A lot of people got bullied during the last three years, right? Do this or you lose your job. You know, we had people that got bullied on, on so many different fronts during the last three years with the COVID stuff. And, you know, a lot of them just like, what do I do? What do I do? And some people just said, I'm going to ignore it. You know, like we're just going to ignore it. And, we'll just, and so they keep sending threatening letters. And the, and the boss will call them and say, do this or, or it's going to go this way. And, and you know, they, they, they called their bluff. Some people felt led to do this. Some people felt led to do that. But some people definitely felt led to not do anything the government told them to do. And some did lose their jobs. And some kept their jobs because when it ran its course, well, it ran its course. And that's the way it goes sometimes. they got to be chewing every man a liar. And one man, it seems one day and another, another, and everyone tried to do their best in a difficult situation. But when big bully government comes and they're going to take over everything and they're threatening your business, they're threatening your freedom, they're threatening your worship, they're taunting your God. Oh my goodness. Is there anything new under the sun? No. This might be twenty seven hundred years ago, but if you're like me, you see plenty of similarities for sure. What are you going to do? Now, we might even make this more practical. In some cases, you might have a debt, and they keep giving you notice. You're trying to clear it all, and they're doing this. You might have a conflict with a family member who just will not relent and is going to... Who even knows? Like, human beings... Some human beings create drama. Like, we all know, you can try and avoid drama, you'll still find drama. It's a human experience on planet Earth. But some people, they look for drama, and they thrive off drama. And you just see them coming like, oh, my goodness, it's toxic drama. You try and hang a right turn to avoid it. And it might be your co-workers, and you're called to be at that job, and they're your co-worker, and God's saying, I'm not releasing you from your job, so you better look to me on how to handle this co-worker. It might be your college coach, and you're at school on a full-ride scholarship, and this is just the way it is. They're not the coach that recruited you, and it's your junior year, but they're the coach you have now. And you just got to figure out a way to work through this. This is life. And people threaten not just governments, not just bosses, people underneath threaten. You can own property and tell people pay the rent or you need to go. And like, no, we're not going anywhere and we're threatening you. If you even try to do anything, we're going to tell the mayor and you're going to be in trouble. Threats come from below, from the side and from above and all around. Don't be a threatening person. I think we all know that. It's much better to be the, the recipient of threats than to be the one really giving threats. Now, you might threaten, you might, like, you might have a legal basis, like, hey, do this or do that, or we're going to do this legally. That's, that's good. You know, that's according to the order of law and God's appointed governments for the, that people who do evil would fear governments, ideally. So understand the context of what I'm saying here, but in this case, this is a threat against their faith, everything, their freedom, and what does he do? It's like your whole world's going to get rocked. If you don't do this, you're going to lose your scholarship. By the way, when I was a, the coach of US Olympic surfing, there was so much fear with the other head coaches about losing their jobs or losing their identity. And, and like, if you don't toe the line and play this game and say these things and carry this way, and they were afraid. I was never afraid because that, that wasn't my identity. I'm Pastor Joey. I'm coaching to serve people. If you want me serving, I'm gone. And that's what happened. They didn't want me serving, and I was gone. But I sure felt sorry for those coaches that were so afraid of the big USOC and all their policies and how to make everybody happy. They're afraid. And then you find in high-level youth sports, because we have people here that work with high-level youth sports, and have, well, we have kids that have gone through full-ride sports scholarships, coaching. All, you know, we, we know this stuff. Where what coaches often do is, is if they're elite coaches, they manipulate the situation we had to do special training with the Olympics to be aware of this. They call it grooming in a lot of ways for taking advantage of people, right? It's called grooming, and we had to watch all these videos and sign these certificates that we're certified with safe sport and all this stuff, and, and parents get so certain that this, this coach in high school is the way my kid's going to get a scholarship at this school that the bully coach, the imposing coach, the, the, the physically you know, inappropriate coach, they'll put up with it because they're afraid, We don't, God, Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise from the grave for us to be afraid of a coach being able to hinder our kids from getting the opportunities that they're meant to have from the Lord. If the Lord opens the door, they got it. If he doesn't, then why would you go through it? You just got to set that, you got to set that letter before the Lord. That's what he did. This is so beautiful. It's literally physically what happened, but it's very representative of what we need to do. It says there in verse 14, it says he took their threats and just put it before the Lord. In the house of the Lord. He just put it before the Lord. That's what we need to do. The unresolvable bank situation that's that just drives you nuts, It gives you anxiety. The thing that needs to be resolved with the DMV, who knows, you know, like who, what it could be. There's things, it would seem that bureaucracy is much less efficient now than it was five years ago. It's more inefficient, and it just can be so frustrating. You get this threatening letter. You try and clear this up and try and clear that. And he's like, we are never meant to live in fear, worry, and anxiety. Or as Danny was saying, why should I worry? Like we're never, Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise from the grave for us to be intimidated by this letter, this thing, this threat, this text, this message, this email, or this mandate. We're meant to be people that know that God's in control and we're going to do the best we can. If we have to make the best of bad choices, well, that's what we're going to do, but we still know God's in control. If we have to strip the temple of gold, we still knew we built the temple that we had to strip down because it was never about the gold, it was about our heart. See, that's where we need to be. Hezekiah's strength is his heart with the Lord. Lord, you and I, we're like this. This letter, this is against you, it's against me. Like I'm in your hands, I don't know what to do. Lord, here it is. Truly, Their resume is correct. They destroy anyone they want to. They control this. They control that. They silence this and they silence that. And no one has stopped them. But we're the church. And you're the king. And it is our generation. So guide us, Lord, and lead us by your spirit. This is the safest place to be, right? What what is better to do with the threatening letter than to put it before the Lord? What could be better than that? Or as Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, you can fight for yourself. But you better to let the Lord fight for you. He does a better job. Give him your letter. Give him that text. Give him that. That threat. Give it it to him. That's what I've learned to do. And a man or woman can receive nothing unless it comes from above. So what the Lord's going to allow, he's going to allow, and he's going to have a greater purpose in it. But by all means, don't hold on that letter and don't sleep with it next to your pillow. Put it in the sanctuary of the Lord. Let the Lord let the Lord take care of that. Now we read on. That's what he did. Good for him. It's a wise man. Verse 20. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin daughter of Zion has despised you and laughed you to scorn. By the way, what an opening statement. You could read this and be like, oh, like I'm reading a psalm. No, after all the threats, after all the bully balls, sitting on the wall, taunting in Aramaic, taunting in Hebrew and everything, talking trash, talking smack, destroying all these cities, taking all these people away captive with hooks in their ears, stripped down naked. The first thing the Lord has to say directed to the king of Assyria is, the virgin daughters, the most vulnerable people in Israel, the women you'll rape and sell in human trafficking, the virgin daughters taunt you and hiss at you. That's the virgin. That's the Lord when He fights your battles. The Lord is getting behind the virgin daughters, and when He's reproving the king of, of, of Syria who taunted Him, He's putting virgin women, young, beautiful women who have not had sexual intimacy with men, and He's saying, These women, these are my daughters. And they taunt you. What an opening statement coming from the Lord! They, desp- they laugh at you. Can you imagine, you know, all those guys, Eli came at those guys like, oh my goodness, please speak in in the other language. And here the Lord says, you know what? I'm sending my girls out to you. Hey, round up the girls that are pure. Send them to the wall and look at him and start laughing on behalf of Jehovah, the God of the universe. This is beautiful. Don't miss this. All the beautiful virgin daughters, roll them out, college age, high school age, Tweeners just rolling out like, <laughs> that's literally, that's literally what God's saying right here. What a word. Man, don't mess with the living God. Don't mess with Jehovah and don't mess with his daughters. They'll laugh you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. You're nothing before the Lord and his people, you evil men from Assyria. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? And against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Against the Holy One of Israel? By your messengers you've reproached the Lord and said, By the multitude of my chariots, I've come up to the height of the mountains, to the limit of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter the extremity of its borders to its fruitful forest. I have dug and drunk strange water, and with the soles of my feet I've dried up all the brooks of defense. Did you not hear long ago how I made it from ancient times that I formed it? Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. Therefore, their little inhabitants had little power. Therefore, their inhabitants had little power that they were dismayed and confounded. They were as the green of the field and the grass of the herb, the the green herb, as the grass of the housetops and grain blighted before it's grown. But I know your dwelling place, you're going out and you're coming in and your rage against me. This is God speaking directly to Assyria. Because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears, therefore I'll put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I'll turn you back by the way you came. This shall be assigned to you. And now, speaking back to Israel. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself, and the second year what springs from the same. Also in the third year sow and reap, plant vineyards, and eat the fruit of them, and the remnant you have escaped who have escaped from the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Well, in twenty twenty-three, and young people talk, we might say that's a mic drop. That's just Boom. Man, the Lord, this is, I just, this story is so important to us in our Bible that in the Old Testament, rarely will you find something more than even once. For example, the stories in the book of Judges, they're like pretty much in Judges, and that's it. This story, this engagement is in the Old Testament three times. It's in kings it's in chronicles it's in isaiah it's like the gospel of jesus christ where mark matthew and luke are all giving us perspective on the same event this event is that profound i mean all scriptures inspired but this has a little more mojo to it this is incredible this is god's reproof against every kingdom of men that thinks they can lord over people particularly his people and get away with it they might seem to get away with it for a season. We've been talking about this. God's always playing the long game. God's always playing the long game. He watches generations come and go and he outlasts 38 major kingdoms in human history. They're all gone. They come and go. God plays the long game. And in Daniel's prophecy, in the book of Daniel, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had that Daniel interpreted to save everyone's life, the dream is the the golden statue and the mountain crushes it. And The mountain that crushes it is the kingdom of God. And in the New Testament, when Jesus said to Peter, who do men say that I am? And he said, oh, you're so-and-so. They say you're Jeremiah, you're a prophet. Who do you say I am? And he says, you're the Christ. Right. And he said, and upon this confession, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I've given you the keys to the kingdom, and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And we've watched a lot of human governments come and go in the last 2,000 years. And they come and they go and they make noise, and they do their thing, and they might be for God, they might be against God, they might think God's on their side, they might not even care, they might have different gods, or whatever. Listen, they come and they go. And in the end, yeah, blesses is the nation whose God is the Lord, but more importantly, blesses is the one whose life belongs to the Lord, and lives for the Lord. Because this is what we really learn with stuff like this. Although this is a geopolitical national event, it's still about the individual. This King Hezekiah's heart was right on with the Lord and his leadership, not only with the Lord, not only benefited him, but his entire family and his entire stewardship of what was entrusted to him in the human experience, the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom. His dad was the worst. His son Manasseh was the worst, but he was the best. See, the generations, they come and go. It's like when you watch sports. And once you're in your 60s, no one remembers what you remember. The first Super Bowl I remember was the fourth Super Bowl with the Vikings and the Chiefs. I always remember watching that as a kid with my dad. Well, oh, then, like, Super Bowl 55 or something. Now, like, I, 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 listen, and no one even remembers Frank Tarkington or Johnny Unitas or the Colts who are actually in Baltimore. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just comes and goes. It just comes and goes. It just comes and goes. What matters is today for each one of us, and we're out with the Lord, and what we let the Lord do in our life, and that we're firm with the Lord and faithful with the Lord, and we're not moved by these things. God always has the back of the church. The church is the bride of Christ, and He loves His bride. And He's going to take care of His bride in time and for eternity. You know, it's interesting, With the king of Assyria, he could take any city, but he's not taking Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem did fall to Nebuchadnezzar 150 years later. That's a different generation. Not in this generation. Jerusalem is city of the king. Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Jesus, when he returns, he splits the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. Israel will be established in a nation when the Lord returns in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital of the Jewish people in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. God, you know, Los Angeles, Paris, Tokyo, Madrid, (laughs) Vienna, you know, those kind of places, Nairobi, Johannesburg, Santiago, Buenos Aires, they're important cities, but they're nowhere near as important as the city of Jerusalem. That's the city of the king. You can block the bricks on that the east gate entrance to keep the Messiah out like the Turks did 400 years ago or the Ottoman Empire. But know this, the king's coming from the east to Jerusalem. So virgin daughters get out there and give them a home game heckling. The Lord said, go heckle them. The Lord said, my virgin daughters heckle you and mock you. Don't ever doubt that God's got our back and he's in control because he is and he does. Love this application here, though. Now, Rapshika, Rapshika had said, look, enjoy your vineyards, enjoy your olive things until we take you away to another land where we'll give you better than that. Don't you just love it when government says that? You can enjoy that for now, but we're going to separate you from that, which you inherited from the Lord, which the Lord gave you in the case of Israel, and we're going to take you somewhere else. It's going to be better. That was, just submit to us. We'll let you enjoy this for the last little season of your life. Give some happy little memories with your house, your vineyard, your grove, but then you're going to go with us with hooks in your ear, stripped naked, to where we reappoint you. Now, what does the Lord say? Hey, I'm talking now. And my word's the final word, so forget that knucklehead on this side of the wall talking smack. I'm talking. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to eat this year such as grows of itself. Your vineyard, your olive grows. And the second year, the spring, the same thing. And nobody's moving out of the property I gave you. God gave Israel the land, and the land was divided in Joshua. And even like Naboth's vineyard, they got it all from the Lord. The Lord gave them that land. That's his land to give them. There's nobody can take that when it's the Lord that he gave to them. And parents that love their kids look out for the inheritance of their kids and the estates of their kids. That's the ultimate end all or the temporal of a dad or a mom if they have something they can pass on to their kids that will help them in their journey. God's got their back. And then he says, also in the third year sow and reap. Plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. You know what God's saying? He's literally going after the very thing that Reb said. Reb said, You can enjoy it for a little bit. We're going to you something better when we reappoint you. God says, Nobody's reappointing my people. You're going to enjoy this crop. You're going to enjoy Nixer's crop. And you're going to take deep root and you're going to have great fruit. How, how special is that, Body of Christ, WG? This is what the Lord says to us. Our God's a blessing God. He's got our back. He knows our needs. That's why Jesus said, Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. He's got it. God provides for us. The Lord's prayer, he provides for us. He's got us. They're being threatened to lose their food, their possessions, their freedom, and God says, you know what? Virgins, get out there and taunt these guys, and let me tell you, my people, I'm going to feed you. You're going to eat this year's crop, next year's crop. You're going to plant You're going to take deep root and have great fruit. In a world of threats against, in a world that, comes against Christ. Because one thing in my timeline, especially you baby boomers understand this, for some reason with the moral majority and Jerry Falwell and Pat Roberts and all these people, you know, just, they try to like, you know, that the church is a majority. We're not a majority. We're never going to be a majority. Jesus said, few enter by the narrow gate. Many go by the broad gate. So the, the issue isn't about like what, what we're trying to do or what we can control outside of us, but realizing that God has our back. And he's going to take care of us. And so we want to take deep root down with the Lord and bear good fruit up with the Lord. And even as that's what's going on for them physically, as God is a provider, really, it's spiritual, isn't it? Isn't the book of Acts in church history about women and men who are all in with the Lord, who take deep root with the Lord, press into the Lord in prayer? In worship, in his word, taking deep root. Man, we say, hey, go deep. Go deep. Because, you know, the storms come, but you want the the tree that can withstand it. You want deep root. And the woman that has deep root with the Lord is going to have great fruit with the Lord. And the man that has deep root with the Lord is going to have great fruit with the Lord. Go deep, bear fruit. It's more than just the, the vineyards and the olives that God's talking about here. He's talking about being like Hezekiah deep with the Lord. The deeper we go with the Lord, the better the fruit is. And you can tell people they're deep with the Lord because they have their fruit. You see you see Christ in them. You see the character of Christ. You see the conduct of Christ. You see the response of Christ, not the reaction of Adam. You know, or, yeah, you see the response of Christ as opposed to the reaction of Adam or Eve. You see the response of Christ. Deep root is good fruit. That's what we want. That's the maturity. That's maturity with the Lord. Deep root the word, the prayer, the fellowship, healthy with the Lord in every dimension. If we have spirit, mind, and body with the Lord, deep root, bear fruit. Verse 32, we wrap up the chapter in the night. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria. The, so this is a therefore. So after he made that statement, now there's a therefore in case you missed it. This is the final analysis on this. He shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with a shield, nor build a siege mount against it. By the way he came, by the way same way he shall return. He shall not come into the city, says the Lord. I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in camp, the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people rose early in the morning, there were the corpses, all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home, went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass as he was worshiping the temple of Nishrad, his god, and it, that his sons, Adramelech and Sherazer, struck him down with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Ararat, that's modern Armenia, and then Esrahaddon, his son, reigned in his place. Game over. Don't mess with the living God. You picked the wrong fight. Who has ever fought against the Lord never prevailed? So it kind of goes back to that moral majority I was saying where, you know, the, 30 years ago, we're going to take over broadcasting, we're going to take over this. Like, you know what? We're going to defend the Lord on this front. We're going to defend the Lord on this front. Those are good motives. But Jesus doesn't need you I to defend him. <laughs> you know, remember Peter cut off Malchut's ear? When those guards came to Jesus, boom, they all fell down. He knocked them down spiritually, all those guards. And they got back up like, whoa, what was that? It was just him showing who's really in control and who really is the final authority, the Lord Verse 34, I will defend this city and save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Which brings us back to Jesus. Because what I was saying earlier, the city of Jerusalem is the city of the king and Jesus reigns in Mount Zion. When Christ reigns on earth, and he will because he's promised to, the city is reserved for Jesus. So when we say my servant David, you might as well say my servant, my son Jesus Christ. For his first coming and for his second coming. Like Psalm 2, why, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing against the Lord and his anointed? They should bow the knee and kiss the ring and pay homage to the son while they can. Because Jesus is the king. What an edifying story given to us three times in the Old Testament that our faith would be strengthened. So just know the house of the Lord, that's our place to be. Put the threats, read the letter, give the letter to the Lord, the text, whatever, give it to the Lord. Have root, take down deep root, bear good fruit, and know above all else, the one consistent theme in this chapter, God is our defense, and he will deliver us from every evil in Jesus' name.